0: man it's been good to be here with you this morning to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ i count it a privilege to preach uh, at any time but especially uh, amongst faithful pastors brothers in Christ that uh, undertake the labor and so uh thank you to brother Harold thank you to this church <clears throat> i tell i tell people all the time uh, Somebody asked me about something this week, and I said, i got to go to this conference. I said, uh, Harold, Harold, help me come to West Park. I'm obligated to be there for two years and say good things about Harold no matter what. So um, after two years, y'all can hear what I really think, but uh, that was part of the deal. But uh, it's good to be here again. Uh, thank you. Thank you to Lee Creek. I love coming to this church as well, singing, Brother Ron. Uh, I'm going to ask you this morning to join me in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 we're gonna cover a few short verses today and it's a brief text it's a simple text and brother Brandon did so wonderful job of just lifting us high and into thinking on the glory of God and all of his attributes the glory of Christ and last night and I was so blessed by that and I think today uh hopefully with the Lord's help Uh, I think we can also see the the glory of Christ in the everyday activities that He undertook while He was doing His ministry here on the earth. Jesus was, for all intents and purposes, He was an itinerant preacher. He went around preaching the gospel, speaking in the synagogues, and so we're going to look today and see the, the pattern of ministry that Jesus followed for most of His, uh, His time of ministry with His disciples on this earth. And then uh, we're also going to look and see just beyond that in this text, the compassion of Christ for His people and for the lost. And so I want you to look at this text in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 35 and following to the end of the chapter. There the Bible says, "...then Jesus went about all the cities and villages." teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, help us this morning. Help me, Lord. Give me uh, grace to speak truth and wisdom to hold back my own opinion that doesn't reflect your truth. Lord, I pray for those who've come. I thank you for these men, these women that are here today, and I pray that this message would be a help. Lord, we know that will only happen by your grace. We ask for it now in Christ's name. Amen and amen. As we look at this text, I simply, as I studied it, I, I was just moved to, to ask the question, what did Jesus do as a pattern of everyday ministry? Where did He go? What was it that, that the Lord Jesus Christ was about, kind of in His day-to-day operations as He walked this earth, as He ministered among His countrymen, as He led His band of disciples? What was it that Jesus was about in that activity? I'm a practical guy. I, 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 if I can't put it on the road, I have a hard time uh, discussing these big concepts if I can't find a way to put it into practice. And I think that's what we ought to do with every biblical idea, every theological concept. If we can't put it on the road, then we, have, we don't know enough about it. We had not studied it enough. Because if all we want to do is sit around and pontificate and look, I like to stay up late and argue about stuff like everybody else, okay? I enjoy that. I enjoy that. But if we don't take these ideas, these concepts, these thoughts and put them to work in the kingdom of God, then what are they? And so I think we can look here at Jesus' life and, and ascertain his pattern of ministry and learn from him in that. And so I'd, I'd first begin by, by asking the question, where did Jesus go? Well, the text tells us, doesn't it? It says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Now those words, as it would in in the English language, they they reflect kind of settlements of different sizes. Cities typically reflected a a settlement that had some sort of a a wall around it most of the time. Not all of the time. So those were the larger places. They were the Jerusalems of the day. But Jesus also went to the villages. Right, he went to the small towns. He went to the places that we might even call the holes in the road, right? And and if you drive in Arkansas, you know what I'm talking about. There's there's a sign. It's the sign that doesn't even have a population underneath it, right? It's just a hole in the road. Where I grew up northeast Arkansas, there was a place called Goobertown. All right. And Goobertown is not really a town. It's one road that runs off of the highway. And there's a store at the top of the road. And then there's vegetable stands and cattle and stuff down this direction. right? It's a hole in the road. It's a little settlement. And that's, this is the, what reflects Jesus' pattern. He went to the cities. Yeah, He went to where there were a lot of people. But He also went to the smaller places. To the out-of-the-way places. Jesus didn't just focus His ministry on the big places. But he also didn't dismiss the big places as too hard to reach, too difficult to to go there. Wherever there were people, wherever there were people there who needed to hear the message that he had to carry, the message about himself, he went to those places. He sought to take the message to the villages and the cities. And I think we need to take note of this as pastors, and we need to take note of this as we consider missions, because... If we're not careful, I know and you've known men who claim to be called to pastoral ministry, but they're only willing to go to a certain size church, or they're only willing to go to a certain size city, right? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the church. Brother Harold's familiar with them as well. That have had had talked to pastors that uh, really wanted to come, but you know. It's like 40 minutes to go to Walmart, and I just don't know if we want to live like that. It's 10 miles to gas. and But I'm going to tell you something, at that gas station, you can get a sandwich, you can get bait, you can buy guns. You can do anything there, <laughs> right? And that's that's the kind of place to be. That's total power, all in one, right there in one building. And so we got to be careful that we're not only willing to serve within a certain parameter. I knew of a, a, a man that I knew well that came out of school with me, and he wanted, He said he was called to college ministry. And I said, well, that's wonderful. Just so happens my grandfather, who was a pastor, had a man that served with him and his staff that uh, is, was considered at this time to be one of the best-known college ministers in the country. So I called this man on behalf of my friend. I said, hey, you got any places looking for somebody? And he said, Yeah, I got a place up here in Washington State. He might have to raise a little support. There's, a, there's, some, there's something down in South Carolina if he wants that and, and they want him. He said, that, That's a full time paid position. Gave some options. So I took this news back to my friend. And he said, Well, I just think God just wants me to serve him in Boston. I said, Well, okay. I understand that. But you want to do college ministry, right? He said, Yeah. I said, Well, brother, sometimes you got to go to South Carolina to get to Boston. Sometimes you need to go where God opens the door. All I'm trying to say is, is we got to be willing to go where God opens the door, where there's opportunity for gospel ministry. Some missions organizations, of whom I shall remain nameless, okay, but some missions organizations, they only want to now kind of focus on large population centers. i got no problem with that, Taking going to the cities. I think you ought to do that. But, they do it at the expense of their missionaries who are called to other places and they refuse to fund them at the level they want to fund people in these other areas. Because as missions organizations sometimes, as churches sometimes, and as pastors sometimes, we've fallen into the trap of looking at missions as a dollars-per-soul endeavor. We start saying, well, we send... a we send." a year to brother so-and-so, and and, and, and he's reporting that he saw 100 people come to Christ, and then there's old brother and sister so-and-so out in the woods somewhere where there's only 27 people, and two of them got saved. They saved a big percentage of the population, and we act like they're not doing the work. Missions, church work, it's not always uh, about just... Dollars per souls. It's, it's about being where God would have to be. Going to where the people are. Whatever that place looks like. Now we don't need to overreact though, do we? Because I know we like to do that. We'll overreact and say, well, any church that got big, they got big because they compromised. They got big because they wouldn't say the tough things. They got big for whatever other reason. Now, we got to be careful because we're not holier than now just because we might be willing to serve in a smaller congregation in a more remote location. So we can't, we, can't, uh, we can't talk out of both sides of our mouth. We need to be careful that we're not ostracizing brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing the work of ministry in the cities or in the villages, out in the woods or in the middle of an urban area. You know, an old business cliche is that the three most important things for a business is location, location, location. But the church is not a business. Our primary concern about location is simply that we're in the location where God would have us to be at a given moment. Obedience is the key. Jesus went to the cities and to the villages. So if we know where Jesus went, then the next question is an obvious one. Well, what? did he do well the bible tells us to start with that he was teaching in their synagogues jesus preached in the synagogue and i think here as we look at this and we study it out and we look at what this actually meant and i'll read you a text in a moment i think we can recognize this from our context is is that he was doing the work of expounding the scriptures as he had them he was expounding the old testament we have the account in Luke chapter 4 in verse 16 through 21 where it says this, So he, speaking of Jesus, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of, the, of sight of, to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now we might say that might be a kind of a, a pretty concise exposition of that text, but when you're Jesus, all you really have to do is say, that's about me, right? He expounded the text. He got up and read the text, and he, sp- he told them what that text was about in that moment. Now we got to be careful here too, don't we? Some of us, in our, in our kind of environment that we're in, particularly in kind of the, the kind of the circles that most of us run in, some people might chastise Jesus for doing what he did because he went to a place where they don't handle the scriptures rightly and preach, didn't he? He went to a plate. Now look, you're going to get mad at me about this, but that's okay. He knew that they weren't handling the Scriptures right. He knew that they had twisted the true religion given to them by the Lord. He knew. And yet he went there as a pattern of his ministry. It wasn't a one-off thing. And proclaimed the truth to those people. Now I'm not advocating a wide-open policy and mixing with heretics, Okay. That's not what I'm here doing this morning, but I'm saying be careful. Be careful with how we think about a brother who might prayerfully understand that, you know what, i got an opportunity here to preach the truth to a bunch of people that can't, hadn't heard much of it. Look, I know a man, a godly old pastor, who came up. His parents were from Czechoslovakia. He came to Texas when he was a baby, and he grew up in the Catholic faith. And he came to Christ while he was in the Marine Corps, and he's a faithful preacher of the gospel to this moment. And that man more than once has gotten up in a Catholic church at a funeral and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ plainly. Some of us might not do that. I, I think I'd struggle with doing that. There's a brother in this room. I talked to him about this last night. He said, Use my name if you want to. I said, I won't. We won't connect the dots for you. But there's a brother in this room that was going somewhere to speak. And because I knew where he was going, and I knew what was going on there, I called this brother, and I said, Brother, I'm concerned. I want you to know, because I had more, maybe more familiarity with it than he did. And I said, I don't know. I, I just want you to know the score over there before you go over there. You know, I was trying to warn him, trying to be a friend. And he said something to me, and I think this is wisdom. He said, Russell, there's places that I'll accept an invitation where I would not extend one. I thought there was wisdom there. You see... We see Jesus, most importantly, apart from the idea that He's somewhere like that. Now maybe I ran a rabbit trail there, but so be it. But most importantly, what we see in this text is that Jesus went where the people were, gathered in the synagogues, who thought they were observing the righteous religion of the God of the Bible, and He went and He opened the text and He proclaimed to them the truth about what the Bible said. Our main piece of ministry... Needs to be about expounding the scriptures. You guys know that. You probably wouldn't be here. And if you don't know that, you need to get to know that. Read the text and preach the text. Explain the text. And apply the text. Be about what the Bible says. Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. Expounding the scriptures. The Bible goes on to say here that He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, some of, your, some of your translations say proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In our context, we know, because we have the full canon of Scripture, that there's overlap here. The idea of expounding and pro, or proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, we know that. But because, again, we have, we have all of the Scriptures. We have the full canon. We have all of what Christ has done in this earth. But the idea of this proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom... Apart from the content of the message, the the, the picture is is that He was out in the public crying out for them to look unto Him. Jesus was proclaiming to the people that they had to look to Jesus Himself. That's the essence of the gospel of the kingdom. It's acknowledging Jesus' lordship over everything. Over everything in this earth today. Over our eternity. Over our salvation. Submitting ourselves to Him. Yes, the gospel of the kingdoms, the life, the death, and the resurrection, and the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's beyond that. It's that He is King. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Master. And while this happens in the preaching of the church, and should happen in the preaching within the confines of the church, I think we've got to see here the heart of Christ to compel them to come in. He compelled them. He went out. He was preaching on the hillsides. He was preaching to people, to a, a mixed crowd of folks. that Some of them were there because he was like a superstar of the day. Some of them were there because they thought they might get something out of him. And Some of them were there because the Spirit of God had moved them to be there. He was proclaiming the truth. He was proclaiming the gospel. He was telling them of all that was going on. And that they needed to look to him. We have 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 the luxury of looking back at all Christ has done and proclaiming that gospel. Thankfully, Jesus in His deity knew what was coming, and He was proclaiming to them to fix their eyes upon Him because He had come to do the thing that they had been looking for. we got to compel people to come in. There are men in this room who I I admire so, so greatly. Men that make a practice of regularly standing in the streets and preaching the gospel, regularly going to places that I, I'd have trouble going to sometimes because I just know how difficult it is, how difficult it would be. And they stand out and they proclaim to people the truth of the gospel. Look, I spent a lot of time dealing with the issue of abortion and I've been to uh, abortion mills as we call them, been out there and preached. and And I'm here to tell you, The most effective thing you can say, sometimes you need to tell somebody what you're doing is sin and and you're going to kill a baby and you need to stop it and stop it right now. But I have seen the gospel proclaim the truth of the gospel and people submit to the gospel. And I'm going to tell you something, if you want to save babies, you need to save mamas by preaching the gospel to them going in. That's the only way. You might stop them that day, but if they don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, they may be back again. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to compel people. Jesus preached where the religious people had gathered and He expounded the Scriptures and He went to the highways and the hedges and proclaimed the truth of His coming. If we're so reformed that we don't ever proclaim the necessity of coming to Christ now, we're mistaken. Now. Steve Lawson is, is, uh, I think, I think he's probably Robin Spurgeon here, but he's fond of saying, "If you don't," he says that today is God's day, tomorrow is the devil's day. Come to Christ now. Because we believe in the work of the Spirit, because we believe in the sovereign hand of God, sometimes we're tempted, we're just going to preach and let it lay and then let God do with it what He wants to do with it. But there is nothing wrong within the context of the truths that we believe of standing and telling somebody, you need to come to Christ now, today. Compel them to come. Stand up. Look, I'm not saying you you need to give a 30-minute invitation and 17 verses of just as I am and all of that kind of stuff. You can do that if you want to. But you need to stand up and tell people, come to Christ. Stand up and tell them. If you want to talk about what it is to come to Christ, I'll skip lunch and sit on the front pew and talk to you till the evening service comes. We'll talk about Jesus. We'll talk about coming to know Him as Savior and Master and Lord. We know only the Spirit can move people to come, but we proclaim to them not to come to Christ tomorrow, but now. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, come, follow me next week. Come, follow me tomorrow. In fact, if you'll remember, he chastised those that had reasons for delay those that had cares of the world, those that uh, had supposed family concerns, those that had all of these things. He said, no, no, no. Those are those, are those things. He didn't say they were necessarily bad things, but if they're the things that are keeping you from being obedient to Christ, then you, you have turned a blessing into a sin. I tell people in my church this all the time. I think the worst thing we can do is when we take the blessings of God and we elevate them so, That we turn the things that God has given us into idols and objects of sinfulness. We take a job that God has given us, which He's helped us provide for our family, and we elevate it such that we neglect the things of the faith. We neglect being obedient to Christ and the everyday faithfulness. And then we say, Well, I got to provide. Hey, I don't begrudge a man or a woman providing for their family and doing what they got to do. I understand that. And I know. I know it's difficult. i got three boys to feed, and groceries is expensive, okay? I understand. But if we elevate that to a place where we, it, it'll, it lets us put aside the things of God, we've turned a blessing into a curse. If we take our families that God has blessed us with, and we elevate our family, and, and their what we think that we want for them, and the goals and the ideas and the thoughts we have for them, and we elevate them beyond the obedience to Christ, I'm here to tell you we've taken the blessing of our family and we've turned it into a curse and a sinful thing. We must be careful. We, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot elevate the blessings of God above God Himself. Stop worshiping the blessings and worship the blesser. I don't think that's good grammar, but somebody can tell me that later or not, later on whether it is or not. We just need to know what Christ is doing. I look at Jesus and I say, okay, can I do that? I can't do it as good as he did, but how can I do that? Can I, in fact, proclaim in the church I mean, I'm pretty good at that, right? I'm a pastor. That's kind of my job. I I show up and preach. I'm going to proclaim in the church. But am I out there compelling others to come in and pointing them to Jesus? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. People don't want to hear it. People that are going on about their lives. People say, you know, I don't think this is the best way for you to be doing this. Am I willing to have the reputation as that weird guy that's always talking about Jesus out in the public square? Jesus was willing to stand wherever to proclaim His kingdom. So Jesus taught in synagogues. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then it says, He went about healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And this is where I'm going to get you all a faith healing seminar. you all ready? Brother Harold shoot me. No. Look, I know we're not carrying around... Uh, the power of christ in this sense yes we have the power of christ but we're not we're not slapping healing on people like like the fools on tv want to do and yeah i call them fools and maybe i should i'm gonna have to repent for that later but i'm here to tell you i'm here to tell you something that jesus As His healings were primarily their verification of His deity. They were were proof of who He was. They were proof that He was what He said He was. He was the Messiah. He was God in the flesh. He was the Savior come to die. All of those things, Jesus' healing was also something else. It was a proof of His compassion to people. Jesus ministered directly to people. He loved people. You see it in His healing. You see it, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, how she just wanted to touch Him and slink away because she'd been ostracized for so long. And what did He do? He didn't pull her in front of Him to chastise her. He pulled Him in front of Him so she understood that, that He cared for her, that He loved her. My sister, your face made you well. Jesus loved people. He had compassion for those that He healed. If we preach and proclaim, but we never show love to the people, we are not emulating the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm a pastor too. I've sat in circles in rooms like that one over there and said, Lord, ministry'd be great if it wasn't for the people. Right? If y'all hadn't said that, you're liars. Okay? So you won't tell me you not said that, you're a liar. I've heard some of y'all say it yesterday. All right? Ministry's hard. People are difficult. But Jesus. Jesus loved people. He had a compassion for them. I have been told by one of my mentors years ago that some some would say this, that there are preachers that pastor, and there's pastors who preach. And neither one of those things are a bad thing. It's just that some people really tend their focus and their time. They, I'm, I'm really going to dive in on the word and we all need to do that. And yeah, I'm going to do the pastoral work and it's important, but I really got to focus in on the preaching. And then there's others who have just been gifted with a pastoral heart and they excel at that. And and they, they show that in a way that I'm really not, I I don't have that, that capacity that they have. And they preach too, and many of them are great preachers, but you can see that their heart is for the people. I'm here to tell you whichever way your gifting leans. And I think that's what it is. I think it's a gifting. Your responsibility is to both things. To preach and to pastor. To proclaim the truth. To equip the saints. But also to minister to the flock of God. It's okay to be gifted one direction or another. But we better make sure that we're carrying out the work of Christ, emulating His love from ministering to the people. Yeah, you may not go in and drop healing on somebody's head, but you can pray to the God of heaven for them. You can read them a psalm. You can help them sing. You can sit in a hospital bed with a family who's watching a loved one drift away from them and still proclaim the goodness of God because that dear saint knows Jesus and we know where He's headed. You can sit there. You can can be there. You can have the ministry of presence to be about the lives of your people. Look and see the compassion of Christ. It's it's right on display here in this text. Even after this, it it says it specifically in verse 36. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. I want you to notice the object of His compassion. Because it's one thing for us to say we need to have compassion for the people we lead. It's one thing for us to say we need to have compassion for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We surely need to do that. But Jesus' compassion here was for the multitudes. His heart was for all of those upon who his, where His eyes were falling. Upon those multitudes who needed His message so desperately. He saw them. He saw them in their desperate and broken state and it broke His heart heart. He loved them. He had compassion for them. I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm a grumpy guy half the time. I just am. Just ask my wife. She's not here, but I, if when I survey the world, my first reaction is not compassion. It's anger. It's, I think, sometimes righteous anger even. I'm embittered I'm tired, I'm weary of all of the nonsense that goes on in this world. I'm tired of, I am tired I don't like to even turn on the TV, I don't want to read the news. Somebody asked me something, did you hear what happened? I said, please don't tell me. I don't want to know. I'm tired of it. When I survey everything that's going on in the world, my heart wants to shrivel up and close in and build some more walls and, and, just, and just hold tight to those I know and love and think I can trust. Just be among the brethren. And just be in the warm embrace of Christian community. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I observe what's going on in the world, I need to be moved as Jesus was to compassion for them. To brokenness on their behalf. I'm I'm just not as broken as I should be. I, don't, I must not remember as well as I should just how wicked I was and so that, that Christ came unto me, that Christ inter, intervened in my life and called me out of darkness into light. I've forgotten because somebody somewhere was used of God along the way, moved by compassion to proclaim the truth and to minister to me and to, and to help usher me through the power of the Spirit into the presence of God through Christ. When we look upon the world, we are quick, quick to see them as evil and wicked. And listen, we're not wrong. We're not. We look out there, it's evil and it's wicked, but do we ever view them as Jesus did, as weary and distressed? Do you ever think they're just as broken, they're just as tired, they're just as miserable And all of this? We look at them and we say, look at those heathens out there. Look at just how terrible they are. Look how they're enjoying their sin. Look, you used to enjoy your sin too, and so did I, or you wouldn't have done it. But you've been transformed, and they haven't. We've got to stop expecting that lost people will act like saved people, when we don't even expect saved people to act like saved people half the time. I don't have that expectation of myself some days. I just say, God, I'm going to just take this one on my own today, if you want to do something else. I got some things I need to say, some things I need to do. I don't view the lost multitudes as weary, distressed, as sheep in need of a shepherd. That's not my instinct we need to train ourselves this way I've known men with hearts like this I've known pastors and missionaries and lay people with hearts like this that labored in prayer that labored in proclamation of the word and their heart was broken constantly seeing the lostness around them we gotta, we gotta quit just, just balling up and, and, and proclaiming wickedness without diagnosing the problem without offering the answer for the problem that everyone has Without having the heart to sit down when, and through shed tears tell people there's an answer here. Jesus had a broken heart. He had compassion. If all I do is rail against the evil of the world, and I never am broken enough and compassionate enough to go where I need to go and speak as I need to speak and sit where I need to sit to show them the glories of Christ the glories of Christ and all that that means, then I have missed it. We don't excuse sin, never, never, never excuse sin. But we don't diagnose it without offering the cure. I'm going to tell you something, something that hit me hard as I studied this, because I told you I'm a grumpy guy half the time, I'm jaded, I'm not careful. We'll never minister to people that we don't have compassion for. You may go through the motions. I might go through the motions. But if I r if I'm really, if I really don't have a broken heart for the lost man, for the lost woman, for the lost loved one, if I'm just so overcome by anger and rage and righteous indignation, I think, and I and I don't have compassion, I might tell them the truth, but I, it's more like I'm gonna take this Bible and slap them across the mouth with it, right? If I don't have a broken heart full of compassion for the lost man or the lost woman, I'm not going to minister to them as I should. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick from time to time, but after a while, He's going to get another stick. He doesn't want a heart full of absolute hardness to minister the gospel of peace and love and salvation. We'll never minister to people we don't feel a compassion for. But I will finish up in telling you this. Compassion is not the end, but it's the beginning. The other end of that spectrum is people that are all compassion and no, no movement. We just sit around and say, oh, isn't that terrible? Oh, look at them lost people. That's awful. Somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to do They really should. Somebody should do something about that. Jesus, Jesus came to us with this. Uh, speaking to his disciples in the in the same manner in verse 37 he says then he said to his disciples after he expressed his compassion after he was it was clear that he loved and he 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 wanted something for these people they needed something so desperately what does he do he tells his disciples he gives them instruction the harvest is truly truly is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest jesus Felt compassion, and then he tells his disciples what true Christian compassion should produce in them. Brothers, true Christian, I can't talk, true Christian compassion has fruit attached to it. It's not just sitting around just wringing our hands saying that's terrible, man. I just I feel for those people. They really need Jesus. I can get me a t-shirt that says y'all need Jesus, right? Some of y'all got that t-shirt, and that's okay. They do need Jesus. But people who have compassion apart from action, most of that is just self-righteous foolishness talking. Just talking. We're just talking about problems when we've got the solution. We act as if we're broken, but we're really not. I know a lot of bleeding heart Christians that do nothing about their compassion. We throw rocks at the liberals, all those bleeding heart liberals. Well, Half of them, at least act out their foolishness. They do. They do something about it. I disagree with them, but some, I mean, you've got to agree with them, you've got to at least commend the fact they're doing something about their foolishness. We got the right answer, we got the truth. and if all we do is sit around and, and do that kind of, "Oh poor, pitiful them," and, and we do nothing about it, we're betraying, we don't really believe the message that we've got. Jesus' compassion. The compassion he was instructing, he was, he, was, he was displaying before his disciples, he was showing them that it should motivate us to the fields of harvest. But I do love the fact that Jesus didn't tell him, All right, boys, look at these people. Now go and do something about it. It's not what he said. He said, Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would do something. Not just do. But pray. God is the only one that can call somebody to the harvest. We can get at a meeting like this and stir one another up, and for a, a day and a half, I'll be ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I'll be ready. To, I'm going to do something, man. These, these pastors, are, they got me so stirred up. I'm going to do something. I'm, I used to have a secretary that said, I don't believe anything a preacher says two weeks after they get back from a conference. I said, well, she about got it right. We'll talk about it in two weeks. God's the only one that can call someone to the harvest, but you and I can make the call in obedience to Him with a... with. A heart full of the prayers that we've offered. Ask God, please call them out. God, please light a fire. God, please encourage them. Call out men to lead churches. Call out men and women to serve on the fields of the missions. Call out others to be faithful deacons and Sunday school teachers and lay people in the church. God, would you do that? And then we can stand before them. And we can proclaim that there is a God who has said that the fields are wide unto harvest. And I've been praying. Have you been praying? I've been praying. Are you called out? Yeah. What's God have you for you to do in His kingdom? But He says begin with prayer. Brothers, pray for those open ministry needs in your church. Pray for the small church out in the woods that needs a pastor. Pray that God would raise up men and women. And use you and your church to train them for the work and then turn them loose with a heart full of joy that God used you in their journey to fulfill their calling unto Him. Give them an opportunity within the bounds of your ministries to serve and not be you. That's a hard one. I'll let them serve, but they're going to do what I say when I say. And if it gets a little wobbly, I'm going to step in and do something about it. Let them serve, let them learn, let them grow so that they might be strong hands in the harvest. Pray the prayer and then fulfill your part in answering the prayer. Be a faithful laborer in the harvest. Be a faithful, a faithful uh, voice in prayer, but be a faithful laborer and be part of answering the prayer that you've been praying on behalf of others. So I'll simply just leave you with this. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray, preach, proclaim, love people with a heart full of compassion and lead others to the fields. To the fields we go, gentlemen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power. I pray that it's been a help to someone this morning, Lord, but it's only by the power of your spirit. I would pray and ask it. You'd stir my heart, that you'd stir the hearts of all of those present to be more faithful, to be more encouraging, to have hearts broken for the lostness that is all around them. Lord, help me to have a heart full of compassion like Christ that I might minister the gospel faithfully to them, not as a show of just a routine, Lord, but that it might be from a heart, yes, of obedience, but a heart of love and compassion that longs to see your kingdom expand. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.